What's up, everybody? Glad to have you back today. Another episode of World of Wally. This is your host, William. And as the end of May kind of grinds to an end, and the official or unofficial, that is, start of summer begins with Memorial Day weekend, I was trying to think of the best way to finish the month up with episodes. And after three powerhouse female interviews or conversations with Orly Walba, with Aubrey Logan, jazz sensation Aubrey Logan, and then with Jill Whelan, uh, which most of us grew up with, you know, on the show Love Boat. I couldn't think of a a really good way to finish this, the uh, month up, and then it happened. An interview that I was having all types of difficulty trying to get lined up. Schedule wouldn't work on his end. Schedule wouldn't work on my end. And finally, we were able to get together. We tried to get this episode in in February, but we finally got it recorded. And I'm going to feature it here today on the episode. And speaking of the love boat with Jill Whelan, this happens to be one of her co-stars of that show. The man, the myth, the mustache, Mr. Ted Lange. And we talk about not only the love boat, but we talk about everything that he's got going on in his life, from some of his humble beginnings all the way up to what he's got going on right now and everything in between. And if you know him from just the love boat, you need to hang in after the break because you're going to learn a lot, like I said, about the man, the myth, the mustache. So after the break, guys, my guest, Mr. Ted Lange. Hey guys, quick shout out to Timothy O. Davis of Ridgewood Recording Studios. His studio offers a full line of music production ranging from song demos and singles to fully produced albums. He focuses on excellence at every level of the recording and production process and will work with you for your project specific needs. So remember guys, Timothy O. Davis, reach out to him at timothydavis.org front slash Ridgewood Studios. All right, guys, welcome back to the show, and as promised today, my guest of Love Boat fame, Mr. Ted Lange. Ted, how are you doing today? I'm fine, William. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, because for about yes, 30 years, yes, I, I pronounced it incorrectly. I'm shocked and delighted. Well, the scary thing is, is I'm from the Deep South, and when we see L-A-N-G-E, we just assume it's Lang, L-A-N-G. We leave the E off. Yeah. And I know how frustrated. Well, you know, the name is actually a southern name in that uh, my family's from Louisiana. Okay. Uh, New Orleans. Okay. And of course, they have that French influence in New Orleans. Right, right. So they, the, the German is Lang, but the French is Lange. Right. I, um, so you know, well, if, if your people are from New Louisiana, you know, Southern folks traditionally are lazy. We like to shorten as much stuff as we can, so. <laughs> well, yeah. I wouldn't say that. My dad wouldn't allow me to say I, that. But, I, work, yeah. uh, I work pretty hard at trying to pronounce people's names correctly, especially because I get a lot of folks that either mispronounce my last name or they leave, le like, they're, they're traditionally, they love to leave the E out of my last name, which aggravates me, so that's why I wanted to make sure that I actually got well, your name you as correct as possible. How do you say your last my, name? My last name is Wally, W-A-L-L-E-Y. But a lot of folks, yeah. when I get uh, like text and correspondence from people, it's W-A-L-L-Y. Oh. 
And I also get a lot of leave it to beaver jokes from some of my older uh, folks, and uh, yeah, and that aggravates sure. me also. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. I was a fan of the show in syndication, I don't I don't want any affiliation with that. So uh, unless of course they wanted to come on the show and we could talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's jump right into it. Like I said, I know I know you're a busy guy. Even even the fellas been doing it as long as you have, you got a lot going on. So um, everybody knows you from the love boat. Okay, you you will on your tombstone it will say, "Here lies Isaac Washington." <laughs> which which, That's right. which I hope it does, and I hope I, because you are known for quite a few things, but a lot of folks have a very uh, limited bit of knowledge on your story. So... Well, you know, it's about exposure. You know, I mean, what I have huge exposure as Isaac, right. but not a huge exposure in some of the other areas that I cover. Well, when you got started, um, I mean, theater actually was kind of your wheelhouse when you first got started. That was, that was kind of what got you set on your path to where you are now. So, was was theater the ultimate? Like, could you have done theater for the rest of your life and been perfectly content? No, I always wanted to be in the movies. Always. Always. But I didn't know how to get into the movies, so that's why I did theater, because theater, theoretically, was uh, an entrance into being able to stand in front of a camera. Right. And, uh, or t- television. I wanted to do television because that's what I grew up watching. You know, I grew up watching Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best and all of those shows. So, no, when I went in the show business, I loved theater. And, but that was an entrance way because I didn't know, there's no guidebooks to tell you how to get into television or the movies. But if you started in the theater, Eventually, somebody comes through that says, oh, you should do this or you should do that. And uh, I went to New York and did some Broadway plays. And I had some of the old timers take me under their wing and teach me some of the things that I should know, which is what I've now passed on to the kids that I bumped into. Because um, I think it's a good thing when the older generation lifts up the younger generation. I bet guys like uh, Denzel Washington and all you know guys like that. I bet they're pretty excited to get your wisdom, because if it wouldn't have been for you, kind of breaking down the walls and and really uh, giving a very strong African American presence on film, a lot of these young guys probably would have never even tried it. Well, you know the the thing is that the ones that are really in love with it, no matter what happens, they're gonna go for it. Uh, what my, I feel my job is, is to give a little guidance, you know, so that when they're chasing their dream, they don't run off the track, you know, that they stay focused on what they're trying to achieve. So that's what I try to do is uh, I'll give information like, uh, for instance, I like to do Shakespeare. And one of the things I will tell an actor is to do Shakespeare. Uh, That's what someone told me, an old timer told me, he says, if you do Shakespeare, the contemporary plays will be a lot easier to do once you've tried to uh, achieve the parameters of a classical play. And I found that to be very true, that once you've done 
uh, a Shakespearean role. When you then go to something that is more contemporary, the language is easier. You've learned about character development through just using words, things like that. So there are little parameters that you pick up along the way. And that's what happened to me. I was very lucky in that I had an old timer. He said, yeah, do shake. He said, even if you fail, you're going to learn something. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, he was right. So um, let's let's talk about that because I was going to bring up, I had a, that was the way I was going to lead into the love boat question I had for you. You are a classically trained uh, thespian. So how in the world did you end up on the love boat? Well, first of all, you have to remember this was the 70s, uh, late 70s, and there really weren't that many jobs around. So, I mean, if you, you know, if one job came up, you had, uh, you know, 600 guys going after the one job. So, uh, I was very happy to be on the love boat, ultimately, you know, uh, because uh, it gave me a chance to do a lot of different things as a character on television and as a character they've carried a little weight. Um, but you know, prior to that, I, I remember going after this movie. That was during the black exploitation period. So you had Pam Greer and you had Gloria Hendry and you had all of these guys that were, you know, Richard Roundtree doing Shaft. That was during that period. So how many shafts did they make they made one shaft a year you know so everybody scrambled after those gigs and then uh, you'd have to wait another year before if you didn't get the part you had to wait another year before something else came out so the the, the work was limited so when the love came along i felt very lucky you have to remember but back then there were only three networks abc oh, wow. nbc I well remember the three network years. <laughs> yeah, man. So, and then they had this one show, and there was one role for a bartender. If you remember, they'd have a white show, like, say, Barney Miller mm-hmm. or Maud, and it'd be one black character mm-hmm. in the show. So the work was scant, and uh, I was very happy that they uh, decided to choose me among all of their options to, you know, put me on TV. And then, of course, then you get into doing the work and trying to make people laugh. Okay, now here's a, here, I don't, this could be just an internet rumor. You can dispel it here if you want to. Originally, you didn't want the part of Isaac, according to some internet, you know, a few internet sites have reported that. Uh, Something about your agent, convinced you into taking it because he felt like it wasn't going to last anyway. No, no, no. That that part's not true. What what the the deal was this is I did uh, a pilot. I did a series. A, after I, my first series was That's My Mom. Mm, that's right. Then I did a show called Mr. T and Tina with Pat Morita. Pat Morita left Happy Days as Arnold and he, they gave him his own series. And I did a guest shot that turned into a regular part. I was only supposed to do one episode, mm-hmm. and but I scored really well, so they kept writing my character back in. And at the end of the series, the executive producer said, I'm going to build a show around you. I was going to have my own TV series. Mm-hmm. So he says, but first, I'm going to get some holding money 
which means we can hold you and you won't do any other work. Right. Uh, we'll get CBS to give us some holding money. So that sounded good. Mm -hmm. So A, I was going to have my own television series, which I was starring in. And B, they were going to give me some money to sit around. So the Love Boat pilot came in to my agent and he said, read it. And I read it. And at that time, there was nothing for me to do. I was in three scenes. The opening scene where they greeted everybody, a middle scene where I served a drink, and a ending scene where I said goodbye to everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I, I took go to my agent and said, there's, there's nothing here for me to do. Why, you know, let's wait on this guy, Jimmy Comack, to uh, get me some holding money. And we'll do he said, well, you don't have the holding money let's make a little money off of this pilot it's probably not going to go anywhere this is the second pilot okay. it's probably not going to go anywhere do the job he said had my agent said have you ever been to mexico i go no he said has, has your girlfriend ever been to mexico uh, no i don't think so he said well look think of it this way you're going to get a free trip to mexico you're going to make ten thousand dollars just to show up and because you don't have that much to do you can actually see Alcapulco you can go all over the town you can see Puerto Vallarta you can go all over the so I said wow that makes sense so that's the the, the reason that I didn't want to do it is I thought I had a bigger deal in the wings waiting in the wings you know and then uh, when I did it uh, me and Fred Grandy said you have to remember, nobody was cruising at this time. Right. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> sort of and like it is now. Nobody. Yeah, <laughs> nobody. And when you did go on a cruise, you were elderly. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like your last fling. Your last hurrah was to go on a cruise. Mm -hmm. And then usually they, they went on a cruise and they came back and they died. 90% of the passengers on a cruise were over 65, 75. That's what the deal was. And here we are talking about young, hot girls, you know, in swimsuits. And we looked at the reality of the situation and said, well, this has nothing to do with reality. You gotta remember, we're actors in that we're taught to deal with reality and bring up, you know what I mean? And work on the, what the reality of a situation was. And me and Fred being young actors, we said, man, this is, you know, these guys are making it up as they go along. And um, so what we didn't count on is that once that show hit the air, it influenced the cruise industry. So where it used to be older, elderly people going on a cruise, all of a sudden young people went on the cruise looking for each other looking for love because it was the love boat that's right taking chances you know <laughs> so th this is a, a situation in which fantasy affected reality and by that if you saw something on the show people would go on the princess cruises and say hey where's your pirate's code and they said well we don't have a pirate's code well you better get a pirate's code because we saw it on tv <laughs> and so 
The next time we went on the ship, we found the pirate scope. They put on a pirate scope. Yeah. Where's your disco? Well, we don't really have a disco because it was all elderly people. Right. So right. They, they they started having to put in things that we made up on television. They had to put it in reality. They had to accommodate young children, which they never did before. You know, with games and and cruise directors that would, you know, instead of doing just bingo, you had to do something for the kids. So the thing about the love boat, it was so popular that it actually affected the environment and it changed the whole way of taking a vacation prior to that. No one even considered, you know, you would fly to Hawaii. You wouldn't take a cruise to Hawaii. You know, you would you wouldn't you would take a, a fly to Europe. You wouldn't take a cruise to Europe, right? Or the Mediterranean. None of that, you know. So we they started making it very appealing for you to get on a ship and flirt with some girl you didn't know and turn that whatever ship you were on into a love boat. Hmm. Uh, now, because of all, you, you got me so amped up now, I got the theme song playing in my head. I can't shake it. I can't get rid of it. So what yeah. you're saying is you guys essentially saved the cruise industry. Oh, uh, uh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. They started, everybody started making boats. There was only like a handful of boats. And now you look out and there's dozens of boats, dozens of companies that are providing cruise. You can take a river cruise if you want mm -hmm. through Europe, or you can take you know, an international cruise, or you could take a Mexican cruise on the Riviera, uh, the Mediterranean, there are boats in the Mediterranean. Yeah, no, we, we changed the face of that industry just by the popularity of the show. As a matter of fact, William, uh, uh, when I went on the show, the, the pilot, I had a mustache, and my mustache came all the way down like that. And so the, uh, the bartenders were all English, and they said, you Oh, excuse me, but Theodore, you can't have a mustache and be in food services. A bartender is in food services. And I said, well, you know, I just did a series where I played seven, a 17-year-old kid, and if I shave off this mustache, it looks like I'm 17 and I shouldn't even be in a bar. Right. So I'm not going to shave off my mustache. And he says, well, that's... That's how you Americans are. You have no sense of reality of what is real. And I said, well, I'm looking around here. How many black bartenders you got? And they go, we don't have any black bartenders. I said, well, so much for reality, huh? Anyway, I come back two years later, William. All of the bartenders have my mustache. All of them. Same. And I went to them and said, hey, what happened to this whole thing about not having hair on your face because you're working in food services. He says, well, it has to do with tips. You know, they would ask for Isaac. They'd come on the boat, they'd ask for Isaac, and then they'd chastise us because we didn't have a mustache. <laughs> so now, see, they all went and grew a mustache, help with their tips. See, in today's society, you would have filed some type of uh, likeness copyright, and then they'd be paying you for wearing that mustache. Yeah, I'd get 10%, man. <laughs> That's right. I'd 10% of every tip you All pay. right, so um, even though uh, even though there was, you had an outstanding cast that surrounded you, um, would you be very 
you don't have to be humble here, okay? Humility is not not part of this question. Would you consider yourself probably the smartest one on that set? <laughs> well, that's no. him. I'm leading no, in. I'm leading I, in. I tell you, the smartest one was Gavin. Gavin McLeod, the captain. Because he had been around a long time. Him and Bernie, they were the smartest ones. And they paid their dues. And Gavin knew immediately... While Fred and I are kind of like, eh, I'm not sure what's going on. Gavin said, this is a hit. And whatever elements that he recognized, he saw it as a hit. And he had done Mary Tyler Moore and he'd done all of this other television stuff. And then also he taught us, he and Bernie taught us the protocol for being, uh, for a person that is starring on his own show. There's a protocol that you should adhere to. One of the things is like, if, William, if you came on the show, I would greet you and I'd say, William, thank you for doing our show. I appreciate, we appreciate you being here. Anything you need, anything you want to know, let me know. Mm-hmm. And so that I would, you know, show you where the craft service was, you knew where the makeup room was, costuming, whatever you think, we wanted to make you feel at home. And that is a protocol for the actors that are regulars on a television show and both uh, Gavin and uh, Bernie knew that and they taught that to Fred Grandy and myself so that when people came on our whole deal was to make you feel comfortable and enjoy your time on our show. Well it must have worked because you guys functioned more like me growing up as you know because I'm trying to think um I had to been in my early, probably adolescence, early teen years when you guys were really just rocking and rolling, because uh, I know you guys came on and then Fantasy Island followed y'all up. That's so that right. was like that was like must see television that night. Yeah, um, yeah. I always wondered why we never got a love boat to Fantasy Island crossover, but you know, but that we point, as they say, at that point though, crossover episodes weren't a real huge deal. So you kind of were, yeah, no, you guys, but we did one yeah. with Lonnie Anderson. Yeah. You can go back and check this. Lonnie Anderson got on the boat and then she went to Fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a whole thing about her not getting off the boat because we stopped somewhere and she got off. And then the next episode of Fantasy Island, you saw Lonnie she Anderson on again. So. Yeah, that's yeah those, but that only happened once. That's an unsolved <laughs> mystery. So you just you just solved an unsolved mystery. We wondered how that happened. Now you just told us so. Yeah. All right. So the, uh, they, those two guys were industry smart. Okay. They were they were industry intellects. I will I'll give them credit for that. But you, yeah. sir, you not only had the book smarts. I mean, it, you were at one point a professor, and I'm not talking about Gilligan's Island professor. I'm talking about a real professor. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I wasn't. I tried to act like a professor, but no, I wasn't a professor. But they, they, you know, when you're uh, writing a TV series, you've got to give the information to one of the characters. And I was lucky in that they, I was instilled with the, the knowledge to help whatever the situation was. Like we did a thing where I saved the entire cruise ship because we got out on rocky water and all of that. And so... They gave my character the information to help save the ship, you know. So I was, t- you know, people wanted to do this and people wanted to do that, and it was a, a it was a, a, a special, a TV special in which the captain 
went with the rest of the crew onto this island. They got stranded on the island and no one else knew what to do. But I had been on the boat for so long that I had the information. I said, no, you have to do this and you have to do that. And then uh, what happened was after that, at the end of that episode, where I was just a bartender, they made me the head bartender because I had the so you, so you were the professor on a deserted island. So yeah, yeah. Right. And we're not, and we're not even talking about your street smarts, because you said you grew up in Oakland. That's true. You before we started, before we started this conversation, we were talking about you were the first souped-up homeboy from the Oak Town. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They wanted my character to be from Harlem. And I said, oh, come on. No. Not Harlem. Let's you know, do something, yeah. something interesting. Yeah. Well, they said, well, where do you think you should be from? I said, from where I really am, from That's right. Oakland. That's right. And the guy, our producer, who was Canadian, said, nobody knows Oakland. And I said, what do you, you don't know Oakland. I yeah. said, but you got the Oakland A's. You got the Oakland Raiders. That's right. You know, and then the Pointer Sisters were emerging at that time. I said, come on, everybody knows Oakland. You don't know Oakland. So mm-hmm. I talked them down and they let my character be from Oakland. Yeah, you should have you should have told him the main streets of Oakland ain't got nothing on Harlem. Yeah, man, come on. We started the Panthers back in the day, man. Alright, well before we shift gears and, and get off the love boat and let's talk about a, a lot of other projects that you actually have done. Who was your favorite guest of all time during all the episodes that you did? Who was your favorite guest? And I want to see if everything that I found on the web matches up with the real answer. So who was who your favorite guest? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. My first screen kiss was with Diane Carroll, mm. who later went on to Dynasty. Correct. And she was, William, she was stunningly beautiful. <laughs> Stunning, and I got to uh, lay up in bed with her and then kiss her. I was one happy camper. So I would say that was my first uh, encounter with romance in front of a camera, and she, she has a soft spot in my heart till this day. So Ted found love on the love boat. Sure did with that one. Well, that was a guarantee. That's what you guys guaranteed week in and week out. Love was going to be found on the love boat. And it only took, you know, a short period of time every day, every week, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. By the end of an hour, you were there. Shoot, by port of call, man. It was, it was, they were almost ready to get married by the time they got home, so. Yeah, that's right. right. So let's shift gears now. Let's talk about some of those stuff you do. You're an accomplished director. You, you write. You, you've written all types of projects. Now, let's talk about some of the passion projects that, that you were afforded because of this, this uh, good fortune or success that you found on the love boat. What would be probably your top three projects outside the love boat that you were involved in directly that had that special place in your heart? Oh, well, I'll tell you this. So Lynn Redgrave, who comes from the English acting family, the Redgrave, Sir Michael Redgrave and uh, Vanessa Redgrave, Mm-hmm. She did a love boat, and she and I got into a conversation, and she, she suggested that I go to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London. And she wrote me a letter, of, uh, you know, a letter in support of them taking me. And I went over there, and I studied Shakespeare. And one of the plays I studied was Othello. And out of that experience, I did... Uh, Othello when I got back 
to America and I filmed it. I'm one of the first black guys to appear on film as Othello. And I took the my Love Boat money to finance the film. And uh, it's around in different places. But I did that. And then later on, when I was studying at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, I learned all these things that are that most Americans don't know about Othello. So I then in 2017 wrote a play, produced it, <coughs> and I was able to produce it uh, once again because of the Love Boat money. I produced it and we uh, we did it here in LA and we did it at a theater festival in North Carolina. The uh, North Carolina Black Theater Festival, and it's called The Cause My Soul. And so what Love Boat did is it, it afforded me the opportunity to make right plays and then produce the plays I, I write. Uh, for instance, I have, if you go on YouTube, if you go on YouTube, type in my name, then type in Shakespeare over my shoulder. You'll see one of the play that I did and it's called Shakespeare Over My Shoulder. I did another play called The Tears of Shylock, which are both themed, Shakespearean themed plays and uh, they're on YouTube. Both plays are on The Tears of Shylock and Shakespeare Over My Shoulder. But I got a Black Lives Matter play on YouTube called Blues In My Coffee. And um, that's a comedy that turns dark at the end. And then I've got another play called Four Queens, No Trump. And that's for uh, black women, specifically aimed at a black female audience. Mm -hmm. So all of those plays I was able to do because, uh, first of all, I wrote some episodes on Love Boat. I, I, I'd taken writing classes, but the more practical knowledge that I got was when I was doing Love Boat. And then I turned those into theater projects so that, uh, and I would do them around LA just because I wanted to stretch my uh, creativity. And uh, those are the things that uh, Love Boat afforded me the opportunity of doing. And uh, if you want to see any of them, that you go to YouTube, you type in my name. You got to be careful because there's another Ted Lange, only he says Lang, and he's mm -hmm. white and he plays accordion. So mm -hmm. if you see some Ted playing accordion, that's not, not me. You. Keep going. Yeah. And for all <laughs> the know? fans from Love Boat, he's still a black guy. He hasn't changed. So. Yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, what, a couple of dozen plays probably to your credit at this point? Probably more 25, than... 25, so far. Oh, 25. 25. So I was pretty close. I was guessing. I knew it had to be a bunch, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, we, um, yeah, we just—I—I I just did. Uh, trying to think of the late, the latest one I did is the Shakespeare plays, because you know, people. I think people should know about Shakespeare, and it's sometimes the language is so tough. Mm -hmm. You know, he, you know, people fall asleep on it and stuff like that. So I wrote this play that lets that that is aimed at people that have no idea about Shakespeare. Yet it tells you the history of him. At the same time, it gives you, it takes place, my play takes place during a pandemic that was going on in London at the time. Mm -hmm. 
and how Shakespeare and some other uh, English poets dealt with that time. Because there's a controversy that has been raging for about 400 years about whether or not did Shakespeare write all the plays. Right. And some people say, well, he wrote this or he wrote that. No, this other guy wrote this. this other. And so what my play does is it examines that. And at the same time, it gives you the history. So you find out who he was married to, that he had three kids, all of that stuff, so that you're getting entertained but while you're getting entertained you're getting a history lesson too at the same time speaking of history glad you said that leads right into what i'm going to talk to you next about history you big history buff yeah man you uh, you, yeah. you you've had a few projects that surround some history some real history some yeah, stuff that some you won't American read in a, in a history book won't you won't you yeah. share a little bit of that okay well i i call myself a footnote historian because what I want to do is examine the African-American participation in American history. So, uh, and you can find these books on Amazon. If you go on Amazon, you'll find a, a, a book I wrote called the, uh, the Footnote Historian Trilogy, which is three of my plays. The first play is about George Washington and his favorite slave. And that's from the point of view of the slave, mm -hmm. uh, William Lee. The second play is uh, about Harper's Ferry and John Brown, and that's from the point of view of five black guys that were with John Brown that never really get acknowledged as being a part of the Raiders at Harper's Ferry. And then the third play is a play about the Civil War and a young slave girl named Mary Bowser. And Mary Bowser was placed into Jefferson Davis's White House. And she could read and she could write and she was a spy for the Union. And most people didn't even know that she existed, let alone that she was a spy. So that play is from her point of view. Yeah. How many books do you have to your credit? I got about, uh, Books that are published, I've got at least a half dozen, maybe more. I'm, I'm in a process right now of publishing my Shakespeare book. I have three plays that are uh, themed in Shakespeare, and they'll be on Amazon in about two or three months. But uh, the three plays are the two that I told you earlier, which are on uh uh, YouTube, which is Shakespeare Over My Shoulder, and then uh, The Tears of Shylock. And then I've got a third play. Again, this is a trilogy that I'm doing. I've got a third play called The Cause My Soul, and it's a prequel to Othello. So all the stuff you want to, you know, people say, well, why did uh, Yago do this? And why did Desdemona do that? And uh, you know, how did Othello, you know, decide that he wanted to, all, I examine all of that. And that's called the cause of my soul. So I got about, I'd say I have a half dozen, I'm going to be adding three more plays to that on Amazon. Well, you're still a young guy, and you probably still have time to do this, but uh, autobiography, well, when's that going to happen? Oh, I don't know. When is when is the master of when is the master of mixology going to put down his own story? <laughs> yeah, I you know I your 
not the first a couple of people have asked me to do to do uh you know a memoir uh because i'm a storyteller i like telling stories and i've got some pretty good stories about hollywood so i am seriously thinking about writing a memoir uh to kind of give you an inside look of how hollywood works and uh kind of the trials and tribulations i had to go through to become the world's most famous bartender so i that's in the works that's somewhere down the line well this is how my brain works because you just brought up being the world's most famous bartender and you are uh t- tom cruise of course is right there behind you but uh but you'll yeah, still yeah. always you'll always be number one um how into your role did you get like could you actually mix drinks like could you walk in a bar and mix drinks well you know most actors when they start out they start out either as a waiter or a bartender Mm -hmm. and so if you had started out as a bartender that would have been an easy transition however i never attended bar (laughs) so by the time i got the gig uh if you ever watched the first season i never make a drink I always poured a drink from a pitcher into a glass and stuck an umbrella with some fruit in it because I didn't know anything about tending bar. And then after the first season was over, then I went to bartending school and learned, uh, you know, all of the things that a a good bartender should know. And they gave me two diplomas. They gave me one for Ted Lange and one for uh, Isaac Washington. (laughs) And the Isaac Washington one, I hung up on the set uh, in the Acapulco Lounge. Crazy. So, That's that wild. Was, I'm just curious because uh, you look in the opening credits of every episode when they come to your name and your your credit uh, as your bartender, Ted Lange, your bartender. And just before you yeah. do the two famous, you know, the two pistol point at everybody, yeah, right, right. you're looking really productive, like you're actually working on a drink. And that's why I asked that question, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's acting there. That yeah, that's, that's that's next level stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then later on, I, I settled down and said, I better learn how to do this because I'll need it. And then, of course, it makes for great business later on when you're doing stuff in yeah. a scene. You know? Yeah. Uh, I knew all of these different things: how to cut a lemon, how to uh, peel a lime. You know what I mean? That's that's stuff that bartenders would do. So, um, yeah. It's uh, it was it came in handy. I got two quick curiosity questions, and then we'll because I have a couple other things I want to talk to you about. One, because you were the most famous bartender in the world during that period of time, during during your run on the love boat, and then after it was over, you get approached by a lot of uh, a different product people wanting you to sponsor, like alcohol related products. Yeah, uh, I did actually. I. Uh... Pina Pina Colada mix from Spain. And they came and they shot a commercial with me when I was in uh, the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Debbie Allen was there. She was my love interest at the time. And uh, they came and and I remember bumping into a high school friend of mine. He said, man, I was traveling through uh, Madrid and I saw all of these billboards with you on it. And I went, oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, there, there was that. And then there were a couple of um, alcohol-related uh, 
you know, distilleries that wanted me to represent them. But alcohol was a big, um, how can I say this? In my family, my father, uh, I didn't want to do that because it would promote, you know, the alcohol thing. And I wanted, and I, at the time, my father was going through some stuff and we was trying to get him off of it. So mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been a good look for me to actually do the alcohol thing. And so I turned down a couple of, um, you know, uh, franchises that wanted me to be a part Which at of that their... time would have been a lucrative deal. Yeah, it yeah. was. Oh, baby, I, I turned yeah. down. But the good news is I was making a lot of money. That's so right. You know, you, go, yeah, you know, well, I can, you know, I don't need this, you know. So, so uh, I, I didn't do that. There were a couple of, the Trina Pina Colada mix was non-alcoholic. So that was a kind of a okay. difference. Yeah. So, uh, one other quick question about that. Since you were part of saving the actual cruise industry, do you, because I I just recently had the chance to sit down and have a conversation with a friend of yours, I'm assuming a friend of yours, an old cast mate, Jill Whelan. Oh, yeah, sure. And, you know, I I know she still has a a connection to, to the Pacific Princess Cruise Line. Were you part, are you still affiliated with them? Do they still reach out to you? Oh yeah, well, we do, they, they'll do things with the entire cast. Mm-hmm. So what's that? The, but their spokespersons are Jill and uh, with Gavin. Gavin is the main thing. As a matter of fact, uh, they sponsor the whole deal because Gavin just turned 90. So mm-hmm. everybody in the cast did a Zoom video for Gavin to wish him happy birthday. But that was instigated by Princess Cruise Line. 90, yeah, 90 yeah. years still, old. Huh? You just said 90 years old. He's 90 years crazy. old looking good. So you and Fred uh, Grandy, who played the yeah. part of Gopher, right. you two were the children on the set. Well, not the children, because yeah, I guess no, Jill, we Jill, I guess Jill Whelan technically was the, was the only child yeah, on the set. That didn't happen for three years. Yeah. So the first three years... Fred and I were the youngsters. Well, she told a funny story about how she wasn't as brave as you guys were. She had to wait to see what kind of success they were going to have before she jumped on the project. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, did yeah. she tell you about her show, Take It From The Top? Uh, we, we did chat about it, yes. We sure did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very smart and very bright. Uh, she and her girlfriend wrote a pilot, and then uh, I directed the pilot. And that's up on YouTube also take it from the top so All right. if you want to see couple of things that we have not talked about that a lot of folks might not know you had anything to do with you have a connection to Lee Majors oh yeah yeah, yeah Lee May if it wouldn't have been for you Lee Majors would have failed miserably as an actor no no, no. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you wouldn't have jumped in on the fall guy and saved the, the show he would have he would have <laughs> failed miserably I heard William, that you, you I heard time. you were the driving force behind the success of the fall guy. That's just a rumor out on the street, so Yeah, okay. Well I'm gonna keep So how long now. how long were you actually affiliated with that show? I did it for about two years. Two years I did uh, I did some episodes. I must have did about a half dozen, six episodes, Whoa. something like that. Where I went on and I directed and I even did one, I did a fun one where the fall guy walks into a bar and he orders a drink and I turn around and it's me. 
And so, and then we do this whole bit about, you know, we look at each other, we look at each other, and then you go, nah, couldn't be. So then he orders a drink, yeah. So we had fun. Lee and I, we got along famously. We had, we had a great chemistry and a great rapport both on camera and off camera. And uh, he came on our show when we went to Hong Kong and he and I hung out and he likes Stolichnaya vodka. Mm. And the only person that loves Stolichnaya vodka more than him was me. Mm. So we got a little plot in uh, Hong Kong. <laughs> All right, and, so. Uh, and then and he just said, hey, I want you to direct my show. Will you direct my show? I go, yeah, sure, I'll direct your show. You know. Well, he might how- not. Well, he might not selfishly. You know, from a selfish standpoint, he might not want to thank you for saving his career. But at Fall Guy, one of my all-time favorite shows growing up. So I want to thank you personally for coming in and salvaging the project. Yeah. <laughs> okay, William. All right, and then one last thing before I let you get out of here, before we kind of you kind of drop a few. Uh, information uh, tidbits on us about how to find stuff that you projects you got going on you sir you if you would not have given direction to this struggling young musician way way back I'm talking late 60s he would have never made it at, to the star level that he did you actually performed in one of the original variations of the musical hair and you yeah. and you just happened to work alongside at that point an absolute unknown who later became Meatloaf. Oh shoot! Yeah. Once again, sir, without your you guidance, know without your guidance, sir, how would we have known? We would have never known the greatness of Meatloaf if it wouldn't have been for you, because you were building him up every day. I I saw Meatloaf about a year ago. They did a. Uh, the New York Times Magazine did a retrospective on Broadway shows mm-hmm. and uh, in particular musicals and I had not seen Meatloaf since for 30 years and we finally reconnected and uh, he lives in Nashville mm-hmm. and so we were catching up on our lives and you know, he's married, I'm married, and kids, and da, 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 da. He's a good guy, and I uh, I text him or call him, and uh, we just stay current with each other now, because we had, we lost touch mm-hmm. for over 30 years, and we didn't want to do that again. We promised each other we wouldn't do that again. But Meatloaf is a great guy, great, great guy. And he and I toured all over America together in the musical Hair, and we had a ball. We had a ball. So back then, you were a better singer than he was? No, nobody's better than Meatloaf. Meatloaf has operatic quality. Mm. He he could do opera mm. if he wanted to. Uh no, he's he's phenomenal. He, I, I sing like I sing like Rex Harrison. Rex I do not sing Harrison. like Steve Wonder. Okay. okay. Rex Harrison, all right. I, if you want me, I'm ready to do My Fair Lady, but I can't do West Side Story. You know what I'm saying? So what you're saying so is... I, that's what I say. Huh? So what you're saying is you wouldn't have ended up in like Temptations or anything like that. You, no, no, no. They would have no, no. said pass. Theatrical you know. work was definitely the direction you should have headed, huh? 
yeah. All right, so, that was the, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole thing about those guys like the Temptations and uh, Otis Redding and all of those, they came out of the church. They came out of the black church. Mm-hmm. There's a different rhythm to that. I was more middle class and I went to Catholic church. Mm. Okay. So they were not singing like Pentecostal gospel, you know what I'm saying? Right, they right. weren't singing like that in the Catholic right. church where I grew up, you know? So uh, I, uh, my singing is from a trained voice, you know, right. having to train my voice, whereas theirs is emotional. Right. Not even, you know, they hit them notes out of emotion and feeling the words and the music and all of that. I had to learn well, how to, uh, you know, put a song over, but I don't, I can't put it over like somebody that comes out of Billy Preston or somebody like well, that, look, you know? Don't be hating on them now. I mean, you had communion wine to fall back no, on. No, I'm telling you, I love them and I wish I could sing like that. That's what I'm saying. Did you hear what I said? You had communion wine to fall back on. They didn't have communion oh, wine. Oh, yeah. I did, and I did, actually. Yeah. Hey, before you get out of here, I've noticed on the video, because for my listeners, my audio listeners, the video, I say, you got a Wake Forest shirt on. Yeah, yeah, are you, are, that, huh? sir? Are you a are you a demon deacon? Yeah, man, I am. You I a... go to North Carolina every two years to do theater. Okay. And I taught a directing class at Wake Forest. Okay. And they didn't give me any money. They gave me this shirt. They gave you a shirt for teaching the class. That's a pretty sweet deal. Now they should give yeah. you one of those, like uh, what is it called? Uh, De facto professor, what what is that called? Where they just yeah, they just yeah. assign well, they you. They said guest professor, but yeah, uh, that's what it was. It was de facto, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, if you if you throw a big bunch of money at them, they'll give you all kind of stuff. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Maya Angelou was there before. That's where she taught towards the end of her life. She taught at Wake Forest. You know. Oh, yeah. before we get out of here, like I said, this is the way my brain works. You just subtly, casually mentioned your love interest at the time during one of these previous stories was uh do you say Debbie Allen? Oh yeah, Debbie you, Allen. You was, just uh, you sure just was. you just casually dropped that in conversation like that's not a big deal. Debbie no, man, no. back in the day Debbie Allen was She was gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she absolutely she was absolutely gorgeous. And they uh we were going to the Mediterranean and they um they cast another girl, another actress. And I, I went to the producer, I said, listen, I read the script and I know who's right on the money for this part. And my suggestion is, I, have you notified the other girl yet? They go, no, we're pitching ideas, we think. I said, well, I would opt for Debbie Allen. I think Debbie Allen is more on the mark for this particular deal and that's what they did they got debbie allen and she and i had a romance on the ship and it was a lot of fun she's she's a good lady unbelievable ted lange master of mixology multi-talented multi-faceted actor director producer writer and the smoothest cat in the room a ladies man (laughs) to beat all ladies man i don't know how you pull it It's, it's tough i don't know how you pull it off so very very Earnestly, so earnestly is how I do it. You're you're still going strong. You still got projects in the works. You're constantly thinking up new concepts and themes for different projects. So, if my listeners want to find out how to find you, find your projects, all that kind of stuff, 
what's what's some of the ways they can find you well i'm on facebook uh youtube just type in my name and they'll see a whole list of some of the stuff it's not that the, I've done. it's not the white guy with the accordion remember that yeah yeah not the white guy with the accordion and then amazon you type in my name amazon books and you'll see a list of all of the plays that i've written uh those are the areas that where you'll find uh, access to what I've been up to. Well, look. And also, oh, let me just say this. I just directed a play, although today is the last day around 8 p.m. Uh, I just directed a play called Satchmo at the Waldorf, which in the stars an actor named L. Peter Callender. He's a brilliant actor. And this is at American Stage org. If you go to americanstage.org, type in Satchmo at the Waldorf, you'll see this show that I directed, uh, and it's about Louis Armstrong. Yeah. That's a it's, it's a fun, fun deal. So, uh, all things old once again become new, they say. I'm watching more and more projects from my childhood, from my early adolescence, that they are now rebooting. Re, yeah. know, redesign, re, you know, new concept. Yeah. Is, is, is the love boat coming back? I don't think the love boat's going to come back because we're, well, someone else may do it. Uh, they did they did do a revival of a love boat some years ago, and we all came back and guest appeared on it. But, mm-hmm. you know, like the thing I say is that if they did something where they kept Jill as the cruise director mm-hmm. who played Vicky, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Then they can build something around her. But they haven't come to any of us, you know, to do anything. And particularly now during this COVID madness, you know, they're, they're not going to do anything until this thing kind of slows down just a little bit, you know? How frequently do you guys get together, like reunion type stuff? Oh, when the, well, when we, the network puts y'all together, or do you guys kind of do stuff on no, your no, own? No, no, no. We're friends, William. We're friends. So, uh, two years ago, I did a play with Fred Grandy. Mm-hmm. We did "I'm Not Rappaport," and we did it in Syracuse, New York. So we were on stage together. Jill called me up and asked me to direct her project. Bernie and I talk all the time. You know, so. And Tweez is up in Seattle, and we, we all stay in touch because we became friends. You know, we've been friends for 40 years, and that's like a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, like 30-plus years ago, 35 years ago, so I told all my friends, Doc is not the ladies' man. Isaac Washington is the ladies' man, and they didn't <laughs> believe me. And I told them, he's the man. He is the top player of the game they would not believe me. And now I have I have audio proof. You have confirmed it. All right, now. There you go. All right. Mr. Lange, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your crazy, busy schedule. It's taken us two or three shots to try to get this together, and I, I can't thank you enough. I'd love to have you on the show sometime in the future. Um, i definitely be letting you know when this, this comes out. And, um, hey, until okay. we, till we speak again, brother. William, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You are a gentleman and a scholar. Well, I don't know. He just made that up, but I got it recorded, so I'm going to run with it now. All right. There you go. And as always, guys, Wally out. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more 
podcast and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner.